God's kingdom already been established? We'll explore that today in part two of our look at the kingdom prophecies of Daniel. You're listening to The Bible Brief. Yesterday, we reviewed the program of the major empires of the world, represented by a statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and by beasts in Daniel's dream. These four empires provide a framework for most of the book of Daniel, and you should try to keep them in mind as you read the book as a whole. If you read Daniel slowly, it can be easy to miss the important threads that tie the whole book together, and one of these threads is the four kingdoms. Do you remember what those kingdoms were in history? First, it was the Babylonian Empire, second, the Medo-Persian Empire, third, the Greek Empire, and finally, fourth, the Roman Empire. Four earthly kingdoms that would precede the kingdom of God. And if you'll remember, the kingdom of God was the rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that destroys the kingdoms of this world and sets up an everlasting kingdom. Now, In this episode, I want to introduce you to perhaps the most important thread that ties together the book of Daniel. And it's a theme that we've discussed before that stretches through the Old Testament with perhaps its most emphatic passages here in the book of Daniel. This theme is the kingly rule and dominion of God. Listen to some of these verses out of the book of Daniel expressed by the kings of Babylon and Persia. The king of Babylon says this about God. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. He also says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Then later on in the book of Daniel, the Persian king says this about God. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. One of the points of the book of Daniel is that despite the evil actions or intentions of the kings involved in world history, God remains sovereign over them. He raises one up and causes the downfall just the same. God grants rule and subordinate sovereignty to whomever he wants. And didn't we see this with the land of Canaan? For many, many years there were people there exercising dominion over the land. But when God decided to allow the Israelites entrance into Canaan, he helped them win in battle. And he concurrently removed dominion from the people who had been dwelling there. God allowed the tribes of Israel to dominate the land. And yet God also removed Israel from the land. Their disobedience eventually caused God's judgment on their sin, and he exiled them away from the land, some of which ended up here in Babylon with Daniel. God's dominion is over everyone and everything. His dominion is everlasting, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. God is always king and in rule over everything. Now, We can't properly understand the Bible without keeping this in mind, this overarching sovereignty of God. That God, being over everything in the universe, can do what He wants, whenever He wants, with His creation. And the great thing that we know from the Bible so far is that what God wants is to bless all the nations of the world. 
We just don't always know what the road looks like to get there. Well, here, in the book of Daniel, we've been given a preview of at least what God's doing with the kingdoms that precede his kingdom on earth. Remember, these were four earthly kingdoms, followed by God's kingdom established on the earth. And that's our main subject for this episode, the establishment of God's kingdom. We left off our last episode with a question, and that question was this, are we living in God's kingdom right now? And let me tell you the short answer, no. The establishment of the kingdom of God has not yet occurred, and we know this for a few reasons. The establishment of God's kingdom on earth will be accompanied by all nations heeding the leadership of God from his throne in Jerusalem. It will be accompanied by a new temple in Jerusalem, and it will be accompanied by peace and justice like the world has not yet known. This is the kingdom that we're still looking forward to. This is God's kingdom established on earth. And yet, from the standpoint of the book of Daniel, it's a little difficult to understand why it hasn't been established yet. After all, hasn't the Roman Empire come and gone already? Wasn't the Roman Empire the fourth kingdom from all these visions? Didn't we say in our last episode that the kingdom of God destroyed the fourth empire in the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel? What gives? Well, let me clue you in on something that will help us understand prophecy a little bit better throughout the Old Testament. This is something you should remember. Old Testament prophets recorded the future actions of the coming one, this Messiah who would be king on David's throne. Well, they recorded his actions as if they would all be accomplished in progression altogether. In the Old Testament, it isn't readily apparent as we read the prophets that the Messiah would have two comings, a first coming and a second coming. And God didn't clearly express that there would be a substantial time gap between the two. For some reason, he left it a bit obscure. Now, from our standpoint, we can understand in retrospect that there would be two comings of the Messiah. But it's not clear in the Old Testament prophecies that this would be the case. I mention this because it has to do with our understanding of the coming kingdom of God and our understanding of these prophecies of Daniel concerning the kingdoms. Somehow, This fourth kingdom will not be destroyed by the kingdom of God until the second coming of the Messiah occurs, in which he establishes the kingdom of God. Again, it's the second coming of the Messiah where the establishment of the kingdom of God occurs, and this is when the fourth kingdom is finally destroyed. That means that this fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire, will in some way be reconstituted prior to the establishment of the kingdom of God. And what do you know? We can see this in retrospect as we look at the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Do you remember that there was a division within the fourth kingdom in both dreams? In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the fourth kingdom was the legs and the feet of the statue he dreamed about. The legs, though, were solid iron, whereas the feet were iron mixed with clay. There's indication here that there's two versions of the kingdom that will exist. And we'll call it Rome 1.0 and Rome 2.0. Similarly, later in Daniel's dream concerning these kingdoms, we see the fourth kingdom represented as a beast with ten horns. And the angel tells Daniel that the horns represent kingdoms themselves. So even here, it appears that the fourth beast is a kingdom, think Rome 1.0, with its second version being the ten horns, or Rome 2.0. 
The point here is that both visions indicate that for the fourth kingdom of Rome, there are going to be two versions, not just a single stagnant kingdom. This can help us as we try to make sense of history in light of these prophecies. We've already seen that Rome 1.0 existed during the first coming of the Messiah, when he announced but did not establish his kingdom on earth. From our standpoint in the third millennium AD, we continue to look ahead to a Rome 2.0 that will be destroyed by the establishment of the kingdom of God. Okay, so we're into some deep waters now with regard to biblical prophecy. And this may seem, frankly, weird to you, that we're looking into the future with some writings from over 2,500 years ago. But let me tell you something to motivate you. God is the author of the Bible. Yes, he used human writers, but God is the one who breathed out these words for us. Not just breathed them out, he breathed them out for us. He wants us to read these and understand them as best we can so that we can be encouraged at what's to come and be prepared for what's to come. Things aren't always going to be the way that they are today, where kingdoms are always rising and falling and warring. There's going to be a day when the kingdom of God is firmly established on earth in justice and righteousness. There's going to be a day when the strength of the kingdoms of mankind fail. One day, wars will stop, the striving will stop, and everyone will want to go to Jerusalem to interact with the king. So we're going to wrap up these two episodes on significant prophecy with several comments. First, Bible prophecy can be difficult to read and understand. Maybe you've felt that way about this episode in our last one, and that's okay to feel that way. But it leads us to a second point. Prophecy may be difficult, but it's not so difficult that we can't learn from it. Our temptation is to skip hard things and to move straight on to things easier to understand. And frankly, I've done that myself. But let me tell you, the more of the scriptures that I come to know and love, the more I see the relevance and importance of learning from prophecy as well. Third, we focused on prophecy in these last few episodes because this time period in the history of Israel is filled with prophecy. 17 of the 39 Old Testament books are primarily prophecy, and most of them come out of this time period before, during, and after the exile. We're trying to reflect the quantity of this prophecy in the Bible by giving you a small taste of what you can learn from careful study. Fourth, prophecy often tells us more about the Messiah, and these prophetic books were a primary source that people used in the first century to identify the Messiah when he came. Fifth and finally, you don't have to be an expert on Bible prophecy. If you're just learning your Bible and these last episodes have been a whirlwind, don't worry about it. One of the great things about the Bible is that it's a treasure chest that you can't ever empty. Take as much treasure out as you want, and there's always more to discover. More important for a new Bible reader is knowing the basic Bible story and learning about the Messiah. But as you grow in your Bible knowledge and understanding, you'll want to return to these prophetic texts. If the Bible is a treasure chest, then prophecies are like heavy, immaculate diamonds. It may take work to lift them out of the chest, but the reward will be worth the effort. We can learn a lot from Bible prophecy. 
And we hope that these two episodes give you a window into how much we can learn from the Bible about how God is working out His plan in history. History has a goal, and God is going to accomplish it. We have the advantage of these glimpses that God gives us for our encouragement and preparation. In our next episode, we're going to rejoin the narrative of the Bible story. We're almost done with the Old Testament, and we're going to meet the Messiah soon. But before that, we're going to see the fall of Babylon and the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire in a single night. A disembodied hand will ride on a wall, a king will be assassinated, and a new power will rise. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for the show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022